0: Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the Senior Pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite everyone to go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. I have the privilege each year to come and minister uh, around our vision and uh, for the last four years we've been casting God's heart, God's vision for Numa Church and beyond and we're seeing God begin to move and break out in powerful ways and f- vision being fulfilled always requires partnership from God's people and um, it's so important we understand that we have a role, we have a part to play. In God fulfilling his vision and his covenant with his people. And uh, so every time you come to casting the vision and also talking about the vision offering, you really don't want to just repeat 2.0. You want a fresh word, fresh manner from heaven. And uh, as I've been seeking the Lord this week, God's really spoken uh, to me from this passage. Proverbs chapter 3 is an amazing chapter, and verse 9 and 10 is practical exhortation. It's just a little bit of fallback. Thanks, Joel. Um, There's practical exhortation um, around what honour looks like when it comes to our practical resources. And so towards the end of my message, we're going to have an opportunity to actually give into the vision offering. And uh, both today, uh, we're going to take up that vision offering, and over the next few weeks, there'll be opportunity both online and in our service for you to fill in the Vision Offering card and contribute into the Vision Offering. Already we've had an amazing response from the morning service and our youth ministry on Friday night. And so the Vision Offering card is on your chair there uh, by way of reminder and uh, you can write the details down. Or if you haven't come prepared today, go away and pray this week and come back prepared to give in the coming weeks. And uh, much of our congregation is already giving across Numa Global, And this is what we do every year. This is not new. This is part and parcel of our culture and of who we are. And I celebrate the generosity of God's people. Uh, We're a generous church because we really have a heart commitment and ownership to the things that God is calling us to do. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and 10 says, honour the Lord. Everybody say, honour the Lord. Honour Honour the the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine." What a great promise, but it has practical implications and instructions. And so today on this Vision Offering Sunday, I wanna talk about honor's reward. That there is a call to honour, but there is also a reward when we honour God. Several years ago, when I was travelling full-time, preaching around the world, I was in a church and I was preaching about faith as it applies to needs and talking about the application of that across lots of different areas of life, including finances, and got to the altar call. People are coming out the front. And the Lord said to me, "Uh, answer your own altar call. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm leading the altar call. He said, well, you have a need. You've been believing for a house You answer your own altar call. So I walked down the steps, stood with everyone at the front, put my hands up and started to answer my own altar call. And uh, I I didn't think it was allowed, you know, for God to preach my sermons back to me. Um, But uh, if it first of all doesn't change our hearts, it's not going to change anybody else's heart. And so walked down the front, just began to worship and pray with everybody else as we're crying out to the Lord. And, And the Holy Spirit said to me, uh, I want you to sell your bike, which was worth upwards of, I don't know, $15,000, sell your bike, and I want you to give the money away. And he told me who to give it to, and so I entered into a UFC octagon fight with God because he knew, knows I love my bike and I love to exercise and, and all that, and, uh, and, and I don't want to do that. Has anybody ever been asked by God to do something? You don't want to do that. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, got back up, led everyone through the altar call. And for six weeks, I was disobedient to the the voice of the Lord. And uh, to be honest with you, I was more distracted by the sacrifice than I was captivated by the Saviour. I was distracted by what the Lord was asking of me rather than being totally enamored with who Jesus is and all that He's done for me. And I'm, in it, I'm annoyed and I'm arguing and I'm talking to Simone about it. You know, I'm not doing this. And, 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 and how many of us know, you know, at the end of the day, you can wrestle, but uh, generally God wins. And, and so um, I just want to say to you, even today as we come to Vision Offering Sunday and if the Lord speaks to you about maybe giving something that truly is going to be sacrificial for you this year and is going to force you to relook at your finances this year, Can I just say to you, never let your sacrifice steal your attention away from God's presence. Because the Lord wouldn't ask you to do something if He didn't intend to reward and honour that which you've sacrificed for and entrusted to Him. When you get distracted from the presence of God, you lose your reason to worship. And as I found myself six weeks later coming back from a holiday and realising I needed to get my eyes back on Jesus, I surrender, Lord, whatever... Went and sold the bike in record time. The, the dude who was, the, the, the company I was selling it through said, oh, this will take, you know, three to six months. In three days, done. It's amazing God, you know, just gets on stuff. And grabbed the money, took it around to the person's house and blessed them and gave it to them and just was like, <laughs> and, and so, you know, um, <laughs> yes, yes and weeping, gnashing of teeth, but there were genuine, genuinely was a surrender in my heart. Little did I know that what God had asked us to do was setting our family up for a significant financial breakthrough in the months to come. And in the Proverbs of Solomon, we discover the Father's invitation to a life of wisdom. What we read in the book of Proverbs is a paternal fatherly appeal, demonstrating what the fear of the Lord practically looks like. And Israel, like us, had to be shown, had to be uh, taught and instructed on what living in covenant with God actually looks like. Often we pay mental assent to the promises of God's Word or we cognitively sort of process it, But how many of us know it's not just what you hear, it's what you do. There is a practical application to the instruction and to the wisdom that we read in the Word of God that where the rubber's got to hit the road, there's got to be a practical expression of it in our lives. We're not just hearers of the Word, but we are doers of the Word. And so in the book of Proverbs, through the writings of the wisdom writer King Solomon, writing by revelation of the Spirit of God, we discover that God's will is intensely practical as much as it is spiritual. No matter how practical uh, it is to simply give an offering, you need to understand that is very much spiritual. And so Proverbs is filled with all sorts of exhortation that is not just about making you wise, but it's about understanding how God operates in the kingdom of God and how you and I, as sons and daughters in the kingdom, are to function and operate as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so, whenever we talk about giving, and particularly giving sacrificially, it's important we understand why. And it begins with this fundamental truth our Heavenly Father is worthy of all honor. And if you, if you, Don't establish that truth. You'll stumble at the act of giving. You'll get more caught up in the actual practice of it or the the call to it rather than understanding why we do what we do. In verse nine, the wisdom writer exhorts us to honour the Lord. What does that mean? It means to show great respect and reverence to God as Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and the last. Revelation 4:11 says, "Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things." So we honor God because he is the creator of heavens and earth. We honor God because through Jesus he is our salvation. We honor God because apart from Christ we can do nothing. And to the degree to which you actually believe that, will depend upon the degree to which you are willing to trust God with everything that He gives you that is in your hands. The Hebrew word kabod in the Old Covenant, it means heavy or weighty. It speaks of giving weight, respect and authority to someone, being God, to speak into our lives, as our Lord, as our Creator, as our God and as our Saviour, and we heeding that and listening to that and responding in obedience to His Word. To honour God is to give proper weight to Him as Lord over every area of our life. That includes money, finances, how we steward it and how we give it. We cannot compartmentalise our worship to 90 minutes on a Sunday and think, that that is the extension of our relationship with God, our honour and our worship. Honouring God extends to every single area of your life, 24-7. It extends to your finances, it extends to how you treat your spouse and your boss, relationships, how you steward your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Honouring God, giving proper weight to Him impacts how you do life. And so a Hebrew understanding of faith is very much that God is at the centre of my heart, the centre of my life, and my whole life revolves around my relationship with God. A sort of a Western approach to faith is very much like my faith is compartmentalised into a room of the house of my life, and God's allowed in that room, but He's not allowed in the other rooms. I'll live my life how I want, my way, you know, Monday to Saturday, but Sunday, okay, God, you're allowed into this room of my heart. That is not what discipleship is. It's not what it means to follow Jesus. And it's certainly not consistent with the revelation of Scripture and how God has exhorted us and invited us in to covenant relationship with Him. In Romans 12, 1, we're exhorted. Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What he's saying is the only reasonable, rational, intelligent thing to do in light of who God is, is to actually lay it all on the altar. Present your whole body, your mind, your spirit. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul and all of our strength, all of our mind. Why? Why? 1 Corinthians 6.20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and it's consistent into every single area of our lives. We need to understand though that yes, God is worthy of our honour. But before honour can be an action of our hand, it's got to be an attitude of our hearts. You can come into this Vision Offering Sunday and give either as a tip or give dutifully, but not actually transform your hearts. A lot of believers give enough to ease their conscience, but not enough to transform their hearts. And giving as an act of worship is not simply about meeting needs in the life of the church or even just extending the gospel of the kingdom of God across the earth. It's about helping us to become more Christ-like. Do you see your giving as an opportunity for you to become more like Jesus? Because you're never more like God than when you give. For God so loved the world that He gave. And so we said it last week at our Kingdom Culture Sunday is that love without generosity lacks integrity. As God loves us and demonstrates that through giving, He's won the most precious prize and possession of heaven, Jesus Himself. So And He's not withhold anything from us. So too, as we grow in the love of God and as we grow in Christ's likeness, there should be this transforming effect in our hearts where you and I are growing increasingly generous. It's so important that we always, whenever we look at any scripture, and this is a, a tip as you study the Bible, you always look at context. Okay, so you look at the verses that precede, uh, the, the the verses that God is using to speak to you, and you look at the verses after. And then you need to take in the context of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation sometimes to help you understand the big picture or big idea of what God's trying to say to you today. And it's interesting that in chapter three, there is so much emphasis on the heart. Let's look at it in verse one. It says, let your heart keep my commandments. In verse three, write them That's the commandments on the tablet of your heart. It's not asking you to get a marker out and start writing on your chest, all right? It's talking about storing up God's Word in your heart, scripting it in your spirit, internalising, mulling over the Word so that it is internalised within you and becomes a part of you. Then it goes on in verse 5 and says, "'Trust in the Lord with all your heart.'" Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways and you'll make straight your paths. If you're leaning on your own understanding for how things are to work, you're not trusting in the Lord with all your heart. You have to trust in the Lord to the point of sometimes not understanding things. That's why trust involves mystery. And you need to learn how to embrace the mystery of faith and the unknown if you're gonna trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you can control every variable and outcome, we're not fully understanding what it means to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. I have to forsake the, the, my perceived right to understand how things are to work if I'm going to live the life of faith. That messes with all us as control freaks. You might not say amen to that, but I'll say yes and amen for you, all right? It's like yesterday, um, my wife had organised for our family to have a surprise uh, event, right? And and I'm starting to feel anxious because I don't know what's going on, Right? And, and Simone's, you know, trying to avoid telling us what to do and the kids are like, most of us kids are all control freaks. And so we're all in the house and it's like, what are we doing? You know, what do we wear? Where are we going? Just, and it's like, she's like, I'm never doing this again, this is ridiculous. And, and it's like, because we're all hardwired to be control freaks, to control the outcome. And the Lord's like, you're gonna follow me. You gotta surrender sometimes your understanding. If you need to understand everything that God asks you to do, you're not going to live the life of faith. But on the other side of understanding, on the other side of your faith is your breakthrough. So if you want to live a life of breakthrough, of supernatural, miraculous, abundant fullness of life that Jesus has come to give, you need to release, you need to forsake sometimes your perceived right to understand everything and to say, God, I trust You. I trust you and I'm not gonna lean and I'm gonna believe that you're gonna straighten my crooked paths out. I don't know how, but I've got a word and I'm gonna be obedient to that. I'm gonna trust you with all of my heart. This is the context for then God leaning in to verse nine and 10 saying, now I want you to honour me with your possessions, with your wealth. Then it says in uh, chapter four, verse 23, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. That literally your external world is a reflection of the theme that is going on in your heart. If you don't like the external symptoms that life is giving you, don't pass blame to everybody else. Change the theme of your heart. Check the operating system that you are living by and the instructions and say, God, replace this heart that is, you know, uh, living under deception or is spiritually blind or is limited in understanding and fill me with the spirit of wisdom in Revelation. Enlighten the eyes of my heart that I may see and know the hope to which I'm called. Isn't it interesting how humanity loves to blame someone for our problems? Adam's like, the woman you gave me, God, is dysfunctional. It's in the Bible, Genesis 3 right? I'm not saying that's truth, I'm saying that's what Adam did. So all the politically correct people, relax. All right? Adam blamed his wife. Eve blamed Satan. No one wants to take responsibility. And what Eve and Adam needed to do is not pass the blame for their sin, but actually take responsibility. Okay? And understand and acknowledge we have a part to play in this. We have a role to play. Then Jesus brings it home to us and draws this connection between finance and the heart when he says in Matthew six twenty one, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Yeah. Yeah. So what he's saying is that you want to look at what's important to you, follow your transactions in your bank account. Because where your treasure goes, where your resource goes, that's where your heart is. You need to understand the correlation between finance and the condition of your heart. You need to understand that what you do with money is a litmus test of the condition, your spiritual maturity and spiritual condition of your heart. Many believers, as I said before, they give enough to ease their conscience, but not enough to transform their hearts. And so it's so important we understand that you're not fully surrendered to God until the treasure of your heart belongs to God. It's when everything in your heart is surrendered on the altar of living sacrifice that you are starting to understand what it means to be fully surrendered. You know, and if you've grown up in church and you've heard any messages on stewardship or tithing or giving, often it's a sore point for people. And one of the reasons why it is, is because Jesus hasn't become the Lord over that area of their life. And they're still, we still think that we're Lord over it. So this is bringing an element of conviction to our hearts at the moment. It could be that the Holy Spirit in a loving but direct way is actually trying to bring you into a greater measure of Christ-likeness by saying, hey, this area of your life actually needs to be healed, needs to be transformed. There'll always be resistance in your flesh to something that hasn't come under the Lordship of Jesus. That's truth right there. And so what will often happen is the moment that preachers, teachers and the church begins to talk about money, and let's be honest, sometimes the church has not taught about finance really well, and it's been very sort of misdirected and self-serving and it's not been honourable. And so in reaction to that, everyone tends to just reject any discussion around giving, around finance. And yet Jesus said, if where your treasure is there, your heart is also. He talked more about giving on money than he did about prayer because he knows it's a fundamental aspect of our discipleship and our relationship with God. And so sometimes growing up in church life, I've heard, you know, all the church wants is your money. And I'm like, really? God wants far more than that. That's the least of it. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole life. And He's worthy of it because He created us. He's done everything necessary for us to be restored and reconciled back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. Is He speaking to anyone today? So before honour can be an action of our hand, it's got to be a theme, an attitude of our hearts. And only Christ can actually transform our hearts and give us a revelation to embrace that as a normal part of our lifestyle, okay? Honour without practical obedience is dishonour. We can say we honour God with our lips, but if it doesn't transfer to practice, to action, it's actually dishonour. So the wisdom writer says in verse nine, honour the Lord with your wealth, meaning all of your possessions, everything that God has given to you, however little, however small. And he says, Gives expression, specific expression, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Covenant, first fruits was not a tithe, 10% of income. It was the best portion of the agricultural harvest. Okay, because of agrarian society, and so things like dough, bread, wine, oil, wool, etc., out of that they were to give the best portion. In Exodus 23:19. The exhortation comes, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord. And so the first fruits extended beyond the the spoil or the fruit of the ground to the firstborn son or to cattle dedicated as holy unto the Lord. And so they would bring a dedicate their firstborn child, come and sacrifice their firstborn animal and they would give it to the priests of the church, uh, of the temple and it would be dedicated set apart as holy unto the Lord this is beyond the tithe in fact in the Old Covenant there were several tithes, in the New Testament we only bring uh, uh, 10% a tithe but then there are offerings through grace giving that is on top of that, are you with me today? Okay and so the first fruits was something that was a part of um, their worship and their life in covenant with God. And so Exodus 13, 12 says, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Verse 13, every firstborn of of man among your sons you shall redeem because they belong to the Lord. And so it's important to understand that firstfruits was not only offered in thanksgiving to God's goodness, but was also offered Offered in faith as a foretaste of harvest to come. So, when we bring our first fruits into like a a vision offering Sunday and into to give towards a vision, we're saying, God, thank you for all that you've given to me. I I, I present this, I give this in a heart and attitude of thanksgiving, but I'm also sowing it in faith as a foretaste of harvest that is to come. In my life, in the ministry of the church, and it's interesting, over the last four years, as the giving has increased towards the vision, the vision has bared fruit commensurate to the giving that has come. There's been increase as a direct correlation of impact, outpouring of the Spirit, influence, because everything is spiritual. Everything is aligned. Everything is connected. And when it's sown in honour... God can actually take it and multiply it, not only to extend his kingdom, but to bring blessing into the life of the giver. It's really important. Um, years ago, I preached a sermon when we first planted a church back in the early 2000s on the best I have is yours. And I was really exhorting the congregation around don't, don't give God your scraps, give him your best. And I was drawing from Malachi all the way through to the New Testament, presenting your bodies as living sacrifices. And there was one um, uh, brother, individual, who was quite upset about this message because it challenged him and he got offended. So he got his gang together and they met me in the, in the, in the foyer and in front of everyone, he started to berate me out loud and he's getting really angry and accused me of preaching law, not grace. And, and you know he started to rail at this idea of giving God your best. And I just politely and patiently started to take him through from Old Testament to New Testament. I just said, hey, I'm not the one who in Matthew 6.33 said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. God is into firsts. He's supremely interested in what we do first because First, or the best part, speaks of your priority of your heart. It speaks of the priority of worship. This is my conviction, but it's one of the reasons why I begin each day first in the presence of the Lord. I want to begin with the Word. I want to begin with prayer. It doesn't mean you can't do it any other time of the day. And it doesn't mean that it's law that you have to do it in the morning. But that's just my conviction, right? So don't let my conviction become your command. We're so quick to make convictions that one person has in in the Holy Spirit to become commands for everyone. Because some people are terrible in the morning and their best time is at night. Don't say amen if that's you, all right? But some people, literally, they come alive at night and their best time with Jesus is at night. Awesome, however it works for you. I'm just saying, for me that I find myself, as I set my day up in the presence of the Lord, I have the revelation, the insight, and the understanding that I need to be able to go into the day and, cha- and face the challenges of that day. First, is gonna look different for every single one of you in your life, but there is an application. There is an action. You can't just pay mental assent to it because why would Jesus say it if He didn't want you to prioritise it? And in the context of Matthew 6, he's saying, don't seek first all these other things, the material needs of your life. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then I'll make sure all these other things are added to you. So he's saying, don't get enamoured by the things, the practical things of this world. God knows you need them. He wants you to live with an abandoned heart of trust like a son and daughter that trusts the heavenly Father that seeks first the kingdom of God, His rule and His reign. And then out of that, God says, I am going to look after you. I'm feeling happy just preaching this. I'm preaching to myself. Because even as a pastor and leader, sometimes I'm tempted to step back from that place of sacrifice and priority because it's inconvenient and there's more bills and income this month and what, what's going on here? And I'm like you, we're real people. We all face real stuff, but yet I'm called to bring my best. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because everything I am and everything I have belongs to God, giving first fruits is simply my worship back to Him. Can't say we honour God without prioritising the first fruits of our practical obedience. Otherwise we'll be the same as those the prophet Isaiah accused in chapter 29, 13 when he says, my people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And if there's anything that Australians can sniff out in a heartbeat is incongruency. And have you discovered it's not just Australians, it's humanity. The incongruency between what we say and how we live. God, I don't just want to honour you with my worship. I don't want to just honour you with my words. I want to honour you with the attitude and the reflection of practical obedience in my heart. What is God saying in this passage? He's saying when we give honour to him practically, he gives back to us plentifully. When we honour God practically, including financially, He gives back to us plentifully. What does it say in verse 10? It says, then. How many of us know little words are big important words in the Bible? Everybody say then with me, then. Then. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, God says, your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. What's he talking about? It's a promise That is a declaration of covenant with Israel as God's people. God saying, as He did in Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God. That has a practical expression. For it is He who gives you the power to get wealth so that He, God, may establish His covenant in the earth. This means... God does not just give you the capacity to earn money, to steward resource so that you can meet your house bills and meet your family bills. He primarily gives you finance, resource for His covenant with us to be established in the earth. This is what it means to be part of God's Family, his chosen people. We are to live countercultural. We are to live different to the spirit of the world that uses their jobs and their careers and their income to serve themselves. We are to actually, we're called to a higher law. It's called the law of love. We are called to a higher covenant. And, and just because it's gone from old to new does not mean we are no longer in covenant. We are in covenant with God. And the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a witness to the world, to the nations, of who God is. And we do that and express that in multiple ways. But one of the ways that we do it is by honouring Him with our physical resources. And so in God's covenant with Israel, a full barn and overflowing vats was a sign of God's blessing and promise on the covenant So in the old covenant, how did you know that you were God's chosen people? Well, you honoured Him, you believed in Him, you obeyed Him and He blessed you. And Israel was supposed to be a witness to the world that they were God's chosen people. And one of the markers was the blessing of God that was upon them. That's why in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Return to me with all of your heart. There it is again. Then your threshing floors shall be full of grain, and your vats shall overflow with new wine. It's so important we understand what God's saying. God's promise of plenty isn't a formula for Christians to become rich. That's not the goal here. If you're hearing that, you've missed it. It's an invitation to trust God in covenant as we worship Him out of the overflow of what He's given to us. And whatever blessing or whatever comes your way as a reward for your honour, you're also called to give God glory and honour out of your increase. It's not about your bank account just being filled or anything else other than God. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I'm going to live a life of honour. I'm going to use everything you give me, my talents, my abilities, my marriage, my house, my car, my relationships and money itself in covenant with you as an act of worship to extend your kingdom across the earth. I'm telling you, there is nothing that God will withhold from anyone that has that motivation and that heart. So it's interesting, you know, six months after I reluctantly sold the bike and I gave the money away, then... Six months after that, the Lord says, now you're in prayer and fasting season at the church. It's back in 2019. I want you to pray and fast for your financial breakthrough. So I heard the word of the Lord. How many of us know it's so important you've got to get a word from heaven? Many of us operate in presumption. We don't understand. You need a word. Okay, and don't spend 10 years saying, I'm just still waiting for a word to give. Are we all awake? Are we all good today? I'm having a bit of fun with you too, all right? Like, oh, I'm still waiting on a word. The Lord's actually asked them 10 years ago. Yeah. Just waiting on a word. No, it's time you started obeying the written word. Stop waiting for a voice when you've got a verse. Yeah. Just I haven't heard the word yet. Right? So now the Lord, I've got a word. Give the money away. Okay, I've obeyed that. Next step. Henry know snow. His word is a lamp unto our feet, light to our path. Next step. Now pray and fast. Believe for a breakthrough in this area. So 21 days, pray and fast. I just want to tell someone, if you haven't seen a breakthrough yet, maybe you need to pray and fast. It's the nuclear bomb of breakthrough. It sucks. It's annoying. It it, it doesn't go well with me, but it works. I'm with you. Who loves to eat? Who's getting ready for a great lunch today? All right, we'll be there soon. The stomach is growling. I get it. But... When you pray and fast, it's like all of heaven stands to attention. This person's serious. They really want this. And so he said, now pray and fast. Now, during that fast, coming into conference, a guest prophesied over Simone. It's why you've got to pay attention to your prophecies. I see God's going to give you a miracle house. So we've been obedient. We've given. We're praying and fasting. Now we've got a prophetic confirmation of that which is in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Timothy said. Paul said to Timothy, um, "By the prophecies previously made about you, wage a good warfare." So you know what we did every day. We started prophesying the prophecy. God, this is what you said. What am I? Do? I'm trying to teach you how to break through, right? This is what you said. God is not afraid of you reminding him of what he said. The prophets in the Old Covenant would say, God, you said. Abraham's like, well, you said. And people get all upset. Like, is that, are you allowed to do it? Yep, absolutely you are. Jeremiah wrote lamentations, lamenting. Habakkuk, I'd shared it before, brought a complaint before the Lord. The Lord's not afraid of you coming to Him and saying, God, You said, why hasn't it come? Because He's got an answer for you. Maybe you say, well, I'm trying to, but you're not mature enough to carry what I want to. So I've got to change you in order for you to become the answer to your prayer. You're preaching good, Corey. You're preaching good. (laughs) Keep going. Keep going. No, serious. He's not afraid. So... Okay, God, you said. So every day, every day, I've got that in my journal. I've got it on my lips. I'm declaring, I'm believing. Another six months pass, nothing happens. Some of you give up after six minutes. Well, I tithe once, I read my Bible once, it didn't work, I didn't see the breakthrough. Christianity doesn't work. Are you serious? Not even in normal life, in any relationship or investment portfolio, do you just give one time and just expect everything to return to you in one day? It's what, we're, we're, we've lost our brains. It's like you, you sow a seed in the soil, you water it, you tend to it, you care for it and over time, it yields a harvest. What does Proverbs say? He who gathers, uh, he who is Hasty in their uh, accumulation of wealth, their money will dwindle. But he who gathers little by little will reap a great harvest. And then one day you wake up and there's a breakthrough, and you're like, wow, but you were gathering little by little. And so six months after that, we had the financial breakthrough, and on a plane from Melbourne, to Singapore, we bought the house, took it off the market 24 hours before the auction and moved in a month before lockdown. Thank you, Jesus. And so here's, so here's the thing. We obey. God could have asked me for a car. He could have asked me for my wife. No, he wouldn't have asked for that. He could have asked for anything. <laughs> I'm having fun. Come on, lighten up. <sighs> um. He, he, he just asked me for a push bike what happened to worth a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> that I saved a lot up for. And, but you know what? Whether it's small or whether it's big, it's what it means to you. It's what place that occupies in your heart. And I realised that my bike riding, my exercise was taking place in my devotional life. He's not interested in taking stuff off you. He wants to give you things, but he wants to be at the center, in the center of your heart. Because the crazy thing is, not only did he give us a house, he gave me another bike. You can't outgive God. Nothing goes unnoticed in the kingdom of heaven. That's why he says, don't let anybody know what you're giving, what you're doing. Don't talk about it. Because if you get applause from man, that's your reward. If everybody knows about your sacrificial giving and your sacrificial fasting, that's your reward. But he says, when you fast, put oil on your head. Don't let people know you're fasting. Don't walk around and say, oh, I'm so tired, I'm fasting. And everyone go, oh, you poor thing. That's your reward. You don't just stand on platforms and utter flowery King James prayers and everyone go, oh, isn't it so powerful and amazing how they prayed?" That's your reward. He says, when you pray, go to your heavenly Father who's in secret. And your Father, he's not saying don't pray publicly. He's saying value the secret place more than you do the platform of people noticing. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You give privately, generously, sacrificially and the Lord sees every gift, every act of obedience and he says, that's my heart. I'm telling you, God's speaking right now. A lot of believers struggle with the concept of God rewarding them. And if you do, it could be because maybe along the way you've picked up a distorted view of who God is. We serve a God who not only calls us to lay our lives down, but says, if you diligently seek after me, I'll reward you. And it's not just about eternity. It's about right now. Why? He does it so that his covenant in the earth would be fulfilled. It's not just about you and I. It's about, I just, we just made a decision as a family years ago, all that we are, all that we have is yours, God. Would you come and make something beautiful out of our lives? Take the simple offering of our breath, our time, our talents and treasure, however small, and would you make something beautiful out of it and let it be for the glory of your name? God will honour a prayer like that. We serve a God who in Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. It's also one of the reasons why you withhold critical judgment of others. Because the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. You put a muzzle over your mouth, you guard your mouth, you guard your language, because you realize whatever you give out will come back as a whirlwind. Sow a wind, reap a whirlwind if it's the same when it comes to gossip, cynicism, sin, negative, God's gonna be consistent with His Word, His law. He's a consistent God. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Sowing and reaping is consistent as long as there's daytime and nighttime, seed time and harvest. The law of sowing and reaping applies. And so as we come ready to give today, It's so important we understand that God's vision for this church is actually a revelation of his call upon this house to live in covenant with him. The vision that God has given to us is not being concocted in a strategic board meeting. Whilst we as a board and as a leadership process, dot the I's, cross the T's, exercise good governance and stewardship, it was birthed out of a heavenly encounter our generosity back to God is an act of worship that not only honours who he is but helps fulfill the vision I'm believing and I sense in my spirit that this year is going to be historical in our giving and our honour of the Lord thank you for joining us for this message today we don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour